As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. God of love and power, you are revealed to us in your word in accounts of prophecy and fulfillment that direct our attention to Jesus Christ. Illumine us now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we may open our hearts to him, yearn for his coming in glory, and serve him with joy. Amen. I will now be reading I will now be reading Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 35 In the 6th month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David The virgin's name was Mary the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now I will be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Maylee. 
Today we continue in our Advent series with the title, Savior on the Scene. We're tracing the entrance of Jesus Christ into the world as the world's Savior along the Advent journey. In the first week, we we talked about the Savior entering a scene of darkness, people longing for the light, and Jesus coming as the light of the world. Last week, we discussed the surprise of salvation, that in God's kingdom, the salvation that God brings often surprises us and shocks us, and perhaps nothing is more shocking and surprising than forgiveness. And today, the third week of Advent, we consider that the mystery is the message. The message is that in Jesus, a Savior has been born. It's not just that God sent a Savior, however, as in just any emissary would do. God came to be the Savior. Jesus in the manger is none other than the eternal Word of God who has become flesh in order to save us. Today, we sang that great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing, of course, is how the first verse begins. We all know it by heart. We could sing it right now without a note of music. The second verse takes it way deeper. This is what we sing that shows us there's more to the story than maybe we see at first view. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Jesus, yes, is the Savior, but here Jesus is hailed as God in the flesh, the incarnate deity. In Christian theology, the Son of God becoming human, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh as a baby, is understood as the incarnation. It's one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. In the prologue to John's gospel, we read that the eternal word, the one who was with God in the beginning and created all things, became human and lived among us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this is a high philosophical concept. When we're tempted to think that we know it all and have a full grasp on all of this, all it takes is for us to explain or try to explain something that no human being yet has ever been able to exhaust or properly explain what happened in the person of Jesus in the uniting of divine and human natures. And yet something so amazing, something so lofty in terms of philosophy and our, the, what our brains can understand actually has something quite earthy and practical as its result. God. present in the world with a skeleton 
a brain, a nervous system, arms and legs, fingers and toes. Something so amazing, so mysterious and beyond human comprehension turns out to be all about getting God into the dust of human existence and the human predicament. In Jesus, God came to us to live as one of us. And in God, Jesus identifies with us. And from here on out, we can be assured that God understands what it is to be human. And Advent and Christmas provide us so many opportunities to contemplate that holy mystery. But before we get to the mystery, we need to start with how we learned of this mystery at all. And that is the message and its messengers. We live in a world where communication is important. There are many messages that need to be shared. There's messages shared from friend to friend, family member to family member. There are messages that businesses want to get out to potential customers. And of course, there's messages that the church wants to get out to reach people who we feel need to hear the good news. Perhaps you have been a messenger of a message at some time in your past. For many of us who are almost as ancient as the Christmas story, we might have had an experience in our youth of being a paper carrier. See, back in the day, kids, there was this, the internet was pretty cool. The internet actually was on, it was written, all of it was written on a paper that was freshly printed every single day. And if you just had a little bit of money, you could get that delivered to your house and then you'd read it. Or at least your dad would read it. You would try to sneak two things, the sports page and the comics, okay? But it includes mess the message given by messengers for anyone who works for the postal service. That is of messages and messengers. Shipping and receiving companies that are so busy this time of year, including that one who is known for the color of their vans, and also just by the sound of them coming into your neighborhood. Telecommunications, what we used to call phones, including cell phones and landlines, but expanding even to the entire internet and all social media. We think about just how much of our world, how much of our economy is wrapped up in communications, in messages that are delivered by messengers. Messages delivered by messengers are at the heart of the scene that the Savior enters into. This brings us to the importance of the presence of angels in the Christmas story. From the New Testament Greek text, the entrance of angels into the story at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke 
and the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, from a Greek language perspective, is entirely understandable along these lines. You see, angels have a specific definition. In Greek, angel is angelos. They are messengers. The root, angel, means message. The message that they are giving is the evangelion. Angel, evangel. Some of us are familiar with the term evangelism, which is, is telling the message about Jesus Christ. The message is the evangel. The angel in evangel, there's the connection. Angels are God's messengers, primarily, when you read Scripture. Angels are messengers with a message. And here in the two texts that we read today, one, an angel appears to Mary, and in the other, an angel appears to Joseph. Remember, angel, in the Greek text, you would run across that word, and then you would also run across the message, the evangelion, which translated into English is gospel. The gospel, the good news, the tidings, the good message. So what message are the angels messaging? Let's look at Mary and Joseph's angel encounters. First, Mary's. We read that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David, the king. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, what message did the angel give to Mary? The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. With every phrase of this message, we get deeper and deeper into what exactly is happening here. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. Remember that. We're going to talk about that name more when we get to Matthew's account. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That means you are going to give birth to the king of God's kingdom. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. It will be an everlasting kingdom. This is the message. This is the evangel. This is the gospel that the angels were announcing. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's account focuses on Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law but didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel 
a messenger of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said that Mary will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If you read that text in the New International Version, there's a footnote there. And if you go to that footnote at the bottom of the page, it will tell you that Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Two weeks ago, we talked about the the expectation of God's people walking in darkness, longing for a savior. And a savior, that salvation is Yeshua. Yahshua, Jesus. We mentioned then that this word in front of us here, beautifully painted by Pam Bickford, it says Savior, and yet it also is the essence of the name Jesus. God's salvation through the Savior is the core message of the church. It's the message that we live into in the Christian faith. The one question of membership in the Presbyterian church is this, who is your Lord and Savior? And there's only one answer. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. This this brief Q&A summarizes salvation, not so much as the final word that we have that over and done with, no, but as a doorway to discovery of the richness of salvation. It's a deepening experience day in and day out of what it means that Christ the Lord is the Savior. And the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ as Savior makes it into the core mission statement of the global church. The first of the six great ends or purposes of the church is something shared by all of Jesus' followers. The proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. That's why the church exists, first and foremost, is to continue with sharing in the world the message of those original messengers that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, our clarity of focus on the gospel message of Jesus the Savior doesn't mean that it's a really simple proposition, does it? Because what Mary and Joseph discovered from the angels was an invitation into something way beyond their capacity to understand it fully. One thing you can say about mystery is that mysteries defy easy explanation. If something is mysterious to us, we may not have all the facts or all the parts of the various aspects of the whole. By this understanding, the angel's announcement to Mary is the pronouncement of a mystery. One that has both perplexed and amazed people ever since. Mary wondered in this encounter with the angel what was going on. Luke shares that very human response of Mary. In fact, it even says that she was troubled at what the angel was saying. It was so out of the ordinary. When told she would bear a son, she asked the obvious question, how can this be when I know I'm a virgin? 
And the angel responded with a sentence that takes up such a small place on paper amid all the words of Scripture, yet contains a mystery of God that is beyond full human comprehension. Taking a closer look at Luke's account, we learn of the decisive actor from the angels, the one that would bring this mystery to pass. We learn of the Holy Spirit's involvement in Jesus' conception as it's communicated to Mary, the one who will be mother to the Son of God. Mary asked, how will this be? Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, means God, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In Matthew's gospel, we learn of the Holy Spirit's involvement in the account of Joseph coming to terms with the fact that Mary is pregnant and he knows that he is not the father of this child. We read in Matthew 1 verse 20, but after he had considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived within her is of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph to hear the message from the angels about Jesus' heavenly origin. Imagine them trying to find something in their mental Rolodex that they've experienced before, or maybe a relative who has had this same kind of experience happen to them, and seeing some similarities, but arriving at the conclusion that this is something that's never happened before. Now imagine what it was like for Mary to sense a growing life within her as those words of angelic prophecy were fulfilled. A holy mystery is unfolding. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as the Nicene Creed tells it. In the season of Advent, we move ever closer to the celebration of Christmas. And as we do, we pause in awe and wonder that in the conception of Jesus of Nazareth, something amazing happened at the intersection between God and humanity. One of the historic perils of Christmas that takes us deeper into this contemplation is titled, Of the Father's Love Begotten. It speaks of the uniting of the two distinct natures in the one person, Jesus, a divine nature and a human nature. Now, this uniting of two natures is known in theological circles as the hypostatic union. I don't expect all of you to remember that, 
But if you want to explore more of it, you will find plenty written on it because it is the central mystery of the Christian faith. And frankly, it has been such a great topic through the years, and especially early in the history of Christianity, that, that pretty big debates took place about just how we understand this mystery. This song has been sung at Christ's birth for centuries to the plain song chant known in Latin as the divinum mysterium, the divine mystery of the Father's love begotten, ere the world began to be. He is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending, He. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see, evermore and evermore. When we think of ancient mysteries being revealed, we might picture a movie, like an adventure movie like Indiana Jones. Or maybe we'd think of something that might happen in our homes frequently. Maybe we turn on the Discovery Channel and experts are being interviewed about their perspective on an unknown or intriguing aspect of world history. And in these presentations, the, the mysteries of the world and human existence are decisively revealed. Yet, far from exhausting our interest, oftentimes this revelation draws us deeper and deeper into wonder and contemplation, recognizing that there's still quite a bit of mystery remaining. Far from being limited to the story of Jesus' birth, the concept of mystery, it turns out, is a major theme in all of the New Testament. Because the New Testament continues in contemplation of this divine mystery of God being both being in Jesus Christ as both human and divine. We find this especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul. When he refers to the evangel, the gospel message of Jesus, he refers to it as an ancient mystery that is now revealed. Think about the Apostle Paul as he's writing those letters to the churches as being the host of one of those Discovery Channel shows. And so we read and we hear with rapt attention and we learn that this mystery, hidden in God's plan and purpose long ago, has now been revealed in the proclamation of the good news, the good message of Jesus. The early church sought to understand who Jesus was, and they studied the Hebrew scriptures and saw a pattern and a plan of God's salvation. And they were convinced that Jesus as the angel alluded to, was indeed the fulfillment of God's grand promises. The message about Jesus is, in their eyes, and is in the eyes of the church, a revealing of the greatest mystery. How can finite and sinful human beings have a right and intimate relationship with the perfect, almighty creator of the universe? 
like most good mysteries, the potential questions and considerations will never be fully exhausted. But the gospel is good news because in Jesus Christ, all the mysteries hidden for long ages past have been revealed. Here are some snapshots throughout the New Testament in Paul's writing. The mystery revealed in the Savior, a Savior for all, a hidden plan revealed in Christ, and the mystery that this Christ can exist and live within each one of us. In Romans 16, Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. In Ephesians 3.6, he writes, This mystery is that through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, we read that the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And our call to worship today from 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then Paul shares the full story of the gospel. That he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. How does this mystery benefit us? Well, when we go to what mystery meant in the ancient world, and in particular in the first century Hellenistic world, it's revealed for us to see. The word mystery in Greek is mysterion. It's where mystery comes from. In the ancient world, mysteries were religious rites that gave access to or participation with the divine. So the mysteries of a religion were those kind of behind the curtain experiences where you might actually see God or experience God. Or you might gain some of God's power or blessing. In the mysteries of ancient religion, people were promised salvation, soteria. But that salvation was oftentimes only for a small number of people. There was an initiation involved, and only certain people could qualify to be initiated. That would provide you with your go-behind-the-curtain-for-free card. Most people were denied access entirely and yet longed to see, longed to experience this divine mystery personally. There was the allure of something so rare and exclusive. And in the New Testament world, this concept extended beyond religion to philosophy and concepts like 
secret teachings or hidden wisdom that you even find uh, kind of competing for the central place in the gospel message in the first few centuries of the church. That maybe that's what Jesus was all about, was to be the holder of these hidden sacred mysteries that only a few of us, only you and me and those who are highly enlightened, not you though, or you either, can take part in. The mystery of the gospel is about access to salvation. But it works in the exact opposite direction than ancient religion. The gospel revealed in Jesus is that the salvation God promised to his people, Israel, an exclusive group, is now extended to the world of the Gentiles, which means everyone who's not a part of that community, which means the salvation in the Savior Jesus is for everyone, without reservation. The mystery of the gospel brings a decisive answer to the question of who can benefit from God's salvation when the Savior arrived on the scene. And that answer is everyone. All are included. From the Christian standpoint, the entrance of the Son of God into the world is a mystery for everyone, from princes to paupers, from shepherds to kings, Jews and Gentiles. It is a mystery meant for the whole world. The mystery of the gospel is also that it contains the infinite value of the God's glorious riches experienced within the finite limitations of human life. Paul describes it in Colossians with that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That by the Holy Spirit, Christ can live in each one of us is a mystery whose benefit is beyond full human comprehension. One of the great Christian leaders in the early church who helped us understand more about the incarnation and its mystery is Athanasius of Alexandria. He was a bishop in the church in Egypt in the fourth century. He's known to many as Saint Athanasius. And he was a key figure in the church coming to terms with who Jesus Christ is, his two natures, divine and human. In his work on the incarnation, he sums up the benefits of the holy mystery of the incarnation with an image that I think will be a blessing to us in our hearing today. He writes this. In short, such and so many are the Savior's achievements that follow from his incarnation that to try to number them is like gazing at the open sea and trying to count the waves. One cannot see all the waves with one's eyes, for when one tries to do so, those that are following on baffle the senses. They're relentless. Even so, when one wants to take in all the achievements of Christ in his human body, one cannot do so even by reckoning them up for the things that transcend one's thought 
are always more than those one thinks that one has grasped. Friends, this is the great mystery that was proclaimed by angel announcement to Mary and Joseph and later to the shepherds above the fields of Bethlehem. It is a mystery worthy of our contemplation for what happened on that silent night and what happens in our world because of that holy night has the potential to sweep us up into the greatness of God's holy mystery. This Christmas, allow yourselves to be drawn deeper into the wonder and contemplation of the mystery of the incarnation. In Jesus' birth, the Savior is on the scene as the incarnate Son of God. The mystery is the message. And that message is for you. Amen.